Signs that say there is a road check up ahead. What to expect if you ignore essential travel guidelines. Fighting for change after a pandemic tragedy. Why is there a blanket policy against autopsies? Her search for answers after losing her healthy young husband and father of two to COVID. And breaking camp. I believe everyone here has housing. Tents come down and new fences go up. <laughs> as Strathcona Park returns to its intended purpose. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. If you're thinking of hitting the road this weekend, you better have a good reason. The province today is releasing details about how it plans to enforce restrictions on non-essential travel to help slow the spread of COVID. And as Richard Zussman reports, breaking the rules could cost you hundreds of dollars. Check stop clarity. This is not about uh, targeting people. Police will not have the ability to uh, randomly stop people. Okay, thank you. Have a safe night. Roadside checks can now be put in place as early as today to stop non-essential travel. The RCMP will have a special team to run them. A driver will be asked for their license and also whether they're traveling for essential reasons. But they will not be required to have documentation to show the travel is essential. Police cannot engage in arbitrary vehicle or street checks. And the goal here is education. Motorists will be warned uh, well uh, ahead of the, uh, the road check. The stops won't be random. Specific locations are still set to be chosen. But they're expected to be near the boundaries of Metro Vancouver and the interior Northern Health region including parts of Highway 1, 3, 5, and 99. The RCMP will make the decisions on where the, uh, the road checks uh, uh, will take place. Uh, as I've said, they will uh, uh, be at those high traffic uh, corridors. Where they won't be happening is within those larger health regions, including in Metro Vancouver, at the Alberta-BC border, or at ferry terminals. Ferries has a, has a very good system in place. We've been working very closely with them. The BC Liberals spent much of the week in here criticizing the government around a lack of detail when it comes to enforcing these travel restrictions. Now that the details are here, they're still concerned. People are traveling, especially for medical or work reasons. An officer doesn't believe them at the side of the highway. They get turned around, which means a missed specialist appointment or missed work. And although it's not against the law, the province is asking people to stop travel even within their own health region. Meaning unless it's essential, Metro Vancouverite should stay away from Squamish, the Sunshine Coast and Whistler. We're small communities. We have been COVID hotspots lately. And so we're really just asking people to respect what the province is saying around uh, essential travel. The province will be footing the bill for these road checks that could be put in place anytime up until May 25th. And after this last week of consultation, they now have the support of both the RCMP and the National Police Federation. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Here is a look at today's numbers. We have 740 new cases. That's the lowest number in a month, bringing BC's total to just shy of 130,000, with 7,886 of those cases active. 511 people are in hospital, 174 patients in the ICU. Sadly, four more people have died from COVID-19, and 11,727 people are in self-isolation at the moment.
We'll bring in Keith Baldry now. Keith, it's the end of the month, so let's take a closer look at some of these April trends. How does it look? Yeah, things are looking better now than they were two weeks ago in pretty well every category, with the exception of, of hospitals and ICUs. But take a look at basically as we head into May, some of the arrows are pointing in the right direction. Unfortunately, hospitals and ICU cases still remain high, more than double compared to the number in March. But daily and active case numbers are declining. They've been doing that for well more than a week. And even more importantly, the positivity rate has been dropping now in all the health authorities. When we were almost hitting 11% province-wide, we're now below 9%. And some of the health authorities that were like Fraser, for example, was at 14, 15%. They dropped significantly as well. So as we head into May, right now, things are looking much better than they were looking two weeks ago. The arrows are going in the right direction on daily numbers, active numbers, positivity. Now, the hospital and ICU still remain somewhat concerning, but because there's a lag effect with hospitals, there is an expectation the hospital numbers will start to decline next week. If they still remain high and start to increase, that means we're in a different world of trouble. But right now, I think the betting is that that's not going to happen. May should be better than April. And let's hope we can salvage the summer after that. Appreciate it, Keith. All right, All right. thank you. A lot of Canadians, it turns out, are exploiting a loophole that allows them to return from abroad and avoid the mandatory and expensive hotel quarantine. Instead, they're flying into U.S. airports like Bellingham and hiring a cab or a limo to bring them home. Catherine Urquhart reports. Northwest Limousine Services, based in Bellingham, is enjoying plenty of business from Canadians. We had two vehicles go to Kelowna back-to-back -back Friday and Saturday. Canadians are hiring the limo service so they can use a land crossing and avoid quarantining in a hotel. They're either flying into Bellingham and getting the limo to take them to their final destination, or they're being dropped at the border and they're walking across. A lot of people are asking me, right, are they doing anything wrong? And I say, absolutely not. It's a loophole. And it's a legal loophole if a Canadian wants to go through a land port of entry. Legal, but Canadian border measures are causing concern here in B.C. and across the country. The same variants that fueled our devastating third wave. And they got in because of weak border measures. I can't stress this enough. We will never get ahead of this virus if we can't keep these deadly new variants out of our country. The borders, land and air, their federal jurisdiction. We want to ensure uh, that uh, that uh, when people do arrive uh, in this in this country, uh, that they are uh, following the quarantine procedures, that they are being uh, followed up on. The differing regulations for those who enter Canada by land and those who enter by air are being defended by the Prime Minister. There is a fundamental difference between someone arriving at our land border versus someone arriving at an airport. Someone who arrives at our land border has been in the United States, has a PCR test from the U.S., even if they traveled internationally before because of U.S. quarantines, has been in the U.S. at least two weeks. Trudeau says data is being closely monitored and increased enforcement is always a possibility. But there's no indication that legal loophole at land crossings will be closed, meaning expect more people to walk across the border or be delivered by a limo. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And there was a setback today for the vaccine rollout. Just two days after the first shipment of the one-shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine arrived in our country, Health Canada is putting a hold on it because of safety concerns. 
Health Canada says it's been determined that the shipment was partially processed at a Baltimore plant where millions of doses were believed to have been compromised earlier this month. The plant was forced to close. Health Canada says the new doses will only be released when it is satisfied they meet Canadian standards. Confusion over vaccine pop-up clinics in Surrey continued today with dozens of people showing up to get a shot without an appointment. Staff outside the Cloverdale Clinic turned away a steady stream of vaccine hopefuls who arrived at the by-appointment-only clinic without a booking. Many were given a number and told to come back in the afternoon just in case the clinic had doses left over, while others decided to stick it out in line just in case they got lucky. Apparently they don't know how many extra vaccines they have, so we're just waiting to find out if there's extra for us. And how did you hear about them? A friend of mine went, came yesterday and she was successful. Do you have an appointment? Oh no, because I'm so busy, so yeah, I have no time to get appointment. All the time I get appointment and then I'm busy. She said uh, maybe you can get or not, because if there is extra one, then we can get. Otherwise we have to go back. In an email to Global News, Fraser Health says that clinic staff are helping out those with appointments or those without appointments to register online so that they can book their shot when their age comes up. Those who live in high transmission neighborhoods or are otherwise eligible are being asked to register online and follow the directions. A news hour follow-up now to our heartbreaking story Thursday of a Tawasan wife and mother who lost her 46-year-old husband to COVID-19. Melissa Hans says as she grieves, she's having a hard time finding out exactly why her otherwise healthy husband died just 10 days after testing positive. Amaragahi reports. Healthy, perfectly healthy 46-year-old, no underlying health conditions, no non-smoker, worked out. There's no way that I was going to believe that he was going to be taken from COVID. 19 people in their 40s have died from COVID-19 in BC. Him and I, were we were a team. Melissa Hans is fighting to keep her husband, Reed, from being mired in the daily statistics. I just need something. I need something. My son has not cried since that morning he said goodbye. The only emotion we can get out of him is that he's mad. He's mad. He's mad that, why is it his dad? Why is this happening to our family? On the night of April 13th, after battling fever and cough, the Tawasin father of two who had tested positive 10 days prior knew he was sick, but decided a trip to the hospital was not necessary. The next morning, his family found him unresponsive, and paramedics confirmed he had died in his sleep. And then I just like hear like this zip, and I'm like, they've got him in a body bag, <laughs> you know? And, this is happening and this is how he's going out. <laughs> On top of unimaginable grief, this family is now without a father and little explanation. I wanted something done. And how can anybody deny myself and my children that right? Demanding a further investigation into how Reed Hance succumbs so quickly. The reason why I was fighting so hard for this autopsy is my, my husband was an only child. Both of his parents were deceased. I have two sons now. If there's something genetic, I have the right, my children have the right to know. 
As uh, always, the coroner's investigation can take several weeks to months to complete, and should it be determined that uh, COVID-19 was either a direct cause or one of the underlying factors in a death, uh, the, the families are notified. The BC Coroner Service says typically if someone dies at home with COVID, the investigation takes that diagnosis into account, but an autopsy may or may not be undertaken. And that was just our happy place. And eventually, like, you know, that's where Reed will be laid to rest. Without the autopsy and through efforts of her own, Melissa and her family doctor fought for a post-mortem chest x-ray of her husband that showed bilateral pneumonia in his lungs. Yes, he contracted COVID, but it was the bilateral pneumonia that killed him. This is how tragic, how fast, how indiscriminating this is. She's begging others to take the virus seriously, hoping her story shows it can affect anyone and that families shaken by its impact are likely all looking for closure. Amadagahi, Global News. The PNE in a bit of a panic right now with no revenue since the pandemic began. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart says it's in danger of closing forever what he's doing to help save it next on the news hour captured on camera ubc researchers see a potential covid treatment in action how it blocks the virus from replicating coming up on the news hour and 30 marathons in 30 days the motivation to test her limits as those in healthcare push theirs. Those stories a little later, but right now, an urgent plea to the province today to help save the PNE, which doesn't qualify for federal pandemic relief. It's drowning in millions of dollars in debt and it's in danger of closing. Aaron MacArthur is live outside the PNE right now. Aaron, the PNE got some help appealing to the province for emergency funding. Yeah, that's right, Chris. The mayor of Vancouver putting pressure on the provincial government to come up with $8 million to keep the PE afloat until 2022. Pretty common refrain for Kennedy Stewart to go hat in hand to senior levels of government. But in this case, he has a reasonable argument to make. $8 million, not a lot of money to ask, considering the economic input the PE is responsible for. Tens of thousands of jobs and tens of millions of dollars in direct investment. The outlook is so dire that the PE, as we now know and love it, could end despite the city of Vancouver's backstopping the PNE's ever-growing line of credit. As a not-for-profit, recovery from $15 million of debt would take a decade and a half. This would forever change this organization and what we bring to BC would be altered. Now, the B.C. government did respond late this afternoon as well. Tourism Minister Melanie Mark writing in a statement, B.C.'s budget 2021 committed an additional $100 million for tourism recovery, which includes support for major tourism attractions. We are working hard to develop the program parameters for anchor attractions. I look forward to having more to say in the coming days. Again, that from Tourism Minister Melanie Mark. Uh, you know, 2020 was a was an impossible year for the PNE. No income, no government support. 2021 so far not looking much better. Uh, closed Playland closed until at least the May long weekend. As you said earlier, Chris, hopefully the summer has some good news for attractions like the PNE. No doubt, so many of them still suffering. All right, Aaron, thank you very much for that. Aaron MacArthur at the PNE. Just ahead, raising concerns about money laundering. Mr. Coleman. Uh, rightfully said that this is not the time and place to do it. 
BC's former Solicitor General on what he knew about dirty money in BC casinos and who he told about it. And a new beginning for Strathcona Park and the people who have lived there for months. What happens to them now? Busy over here on the Granville Street Bridge north and south because of lane restrictions due to ongoing seismic and stuff seismic and safety upgrades at the Granville Street Bridge, you might want to take Burrard or Camby instead. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Granville Street Bridge. It's amazing no one was killed in a caught-on-camera crash at a problematic Vancouver intersection. It happened at about 7.30 this morning. East 57th Avenue and Prince Edward Street, as you can see, a white pickup passes another truck and trailer over the solid line. Then another car fails to stop at the stop sign and is T-boned by the truck and trailer. One person inside that car was trapped but rescued by firefighters. All those involved were conscious and treated by paramedics at the scene. One person was taken to hospital for further treatment. Vancouver police are investigating the crash, but people in the neighborhood say it's long been a dangerous intersection with the stop sign obscured by a tree. Another former B.C. Liberal cabinet member testifying today at the Cullen Commission into Money Laundering and under oath, Cash Heed walked back previous comments that had been secretly recorded when he stated that other members of the government had turned a blind eye to illegal casino cash. John Wah reports. He was a former politician and senior police officer that seemed to be pointing the finger at his own when it came to who should bear responsibility for criminals using BC casinos as a rinse cycle for their dirty cash. That could be uh, viewed as gossip rumors, uh, you know, lighthearted discussion, you know, old time cops discussing something. But Cashy told the Cullen Commission what he knew as BC Solicitor General in 2009 and 2010. And his personal opinions as a private citizen no longer in government are two very different things. They are not based on any first-hand knowledge or experience from my time in policing or in government. Those comments secretly recorded in 2018 and brought forward as evidence by Fred Pinnock the former commander of BC's illegal gaming task force unit, who he'd considered a friend. There's a lot of uh, rhetoric around uh, what two former long-serving cops uh, would discuss uh, regarding it. On July 28, 2018, Heed was taped criticizing senior RCMP and government officials. Heed, they're the most unethical group of people you can imagine, the transcript reads. And then Coleman, Coleman was all part of it. It's their network that caused the tsunami to take place in the casinos. Similar sentiments would be shared over lunch at this cactus club a month and a half later. Pinnock, you know cash, the organization's out of control. I, if the scope of whatever investigation or inquiry is expanded to include political interference in policing, there are so many examples. Heed, you know, given, you know, my experience and even trying them trying to politically influence me when I was there. It's incredible. When I hit the record button during our first uh, recorded uh, conversation in 2018, I knew what he was going to say. He had said it so often to me. He denied making those kind of statements as Solicitor General, including back in 2009 when he met with Pinnock, who had just spoken to the media about concerns over his unit being shut down. 
did you make some comment to the effect that Mr. Coleman was largely responsible for this and that senior Mounties were complicit in it? No. As Solicitor General, he told the commission he does remember looking into the issue and found suspicious cash coming into casinos didn't seem to be a priority or concern. He also recalls fellow Liberal MLA Naomi Yamamoto, who was also Pinnock's partner, trying to raise concerns in a caucus meeting with the minister responsible for gaming, Rich Coleman. Mr. Coleman uh, rightfully said that this is not the time and place to do it. Later on, he would play a role in trying to connect whistleblowers, including Pinnock, with investigative journalists looking into how money laundering was allowed in BC casinos. And while he seemed to lay the blame with his former provincial and policing colleagues in private. Do you know of any government officials, elected or unelected, who turned a blind eye to money laundering activity? No. The former Solicitor General told the Cullen Commission he really had nothing to back that up. John Hua, Global News. Well, it looks like residents of Vancouver's Strathcona neighborhood might finally get some relief from the crime and chaos associated with a tent city that had taken over their neighborhood park. Jordan Armstrong is live nearby there tonight. And Jordan, almost all of the campers have found homes and the long, expensive remediation is about to begin there. Indeed, Chris, outreach staffers are still working with a small number of campers who remain trying to convince them to move along, but the vast majority already gone. Considering the danger and despair associated with this encampment in the past today has been remarkably peaceful. A closing ceremony and a morning blessing as Canada's largest tent city winds down after nearly a year. We've been moving folks all week, and uh, it's been very, some very heartwarming stories. 184 people moved indoors in the last three weeks. Accommodations provided to everyone who agreed to accept. Some of those spaces include hotel rooms. Some of them, those spaces are shelter um, pods where they've got a bed, their own storage area, and some privacy dividers. Yeah, they've done a really good job. Brent Corkum, an encampment resident since day one, has been given a permanent one-bedroom home. He's glad to be out of the park. I mean, I come from uh, home ownership, you know, with my ex-wife and all that stuff. But so for me, it's uh, just being back again with the community and, and being part of something. Um, I'm going to be working with a tier after here. Now that the park has been cleared of the majority of people, attention turns to clearing it of belongings and reopening it to the public. Fencing is going up. However, campers still have several days to come back and claim their possessions. But with poverty and addiction issues unresolved, there's no guarantee this will end the cycle of encampments. The park board's general manager says this to those who wonder if a tent city is coming soon to their neighborhood. We have a park control bylaw saying that, you know, they can't stay during the day. So we will be uh, enforcing the park control bylaw. They're guessing it's going to take three or four months to clean up and reopen the east side of the park to the public. The park board spent about a million dollars cleaning up Oppenheimer Park after the encampment there. They don't think the cleanup here will be as extensive or expensive, Chris. Yeah, Oppenheimer's still closed, too, isn't it? So uh, hopefully they it get is. it. They yeah, hope to reopen it in June. All right. Thanks very much for that, Jordan. Jordan Armstrong, live in Vancouver for us.
Up ahead, COVID extremes in an Alberta hotspot. I thought, you know, we're better than that here in Alberta. A BC student targeted by vandals and then pleasantly surprised by the support he received out there too. And a life and death battle at the molecular level. BC COVID researchers gathering clues to hopefully wipe out coronavirus. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, brought to you in part by the BCTF, our kids and their teachers worth investing in. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight, where you will find a bit of volume is still on the east-west connector between Knight Street and the S-curve. Still driving around on winter tires, driving to Mr. Loop for same-day tire changes, no appointment needed. 15 lower mainland locations, find one near you at MrLube.com. Interest you in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. There have been a number of reports of Albertans here in B.C. whose vehicles have been vandalized. But there is a flip side. A Vancouver man believes he was targeted while in Alberta because of his plates. As Global's Krista Dow reports, now many are stepping up to help him. Someone did this on purpose. It's not a warm welcome by any means. And almost a week later, Dominic Skep is still scratching his head. The B.C. man, a target of vandalism. You just feel very helpless. The 27-year-old is currently in Calgary for school, taking pilot courses at Springbank Airport. Last Saturday, he discovered his two tires were slashed. Days later, more vandalism. I mean, everyone is, is panicking and everyone is afraid. Uh, so I can't imagine that people get angry. If you don't know anyone here, you're not fight in a fight with anyone. And then they, they do something like this. It's just very weird. The vehicle undrivable and required a tow. Skep would also need new tires plus a paint job to cover the scratch. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? It's kind of crazy. So I got a little angry at it. I thought, you know, we're better than that here in Alberta. David Dancerow enlisted the help of his small auto community in hopes of covering Skep's bill. You always hear stories of something like this happening in B.C. to red plates, but something happening in our own backyard isn't quite as good. So I knew it was something that we definitely have to help out with. And it's not fair to him to have to pay the bill, especially when the insurance company is not willing to help him out. And when they hurt, we hurt. Repair and replacement costs in the realm of $5,000. It wasn't about the cost. It was just making this right. And I didn't feel that Dominic should have been treated this way. And... It doesn't matter whose plates you have on your vehicles or where you're from. We're all neighbors. Let's treat each other right. For now, Skep says he'll park in a secure garage until his course is finished and return to BC. I mean, we saw like the, the worst from people and like the best from, the, from people. And, and that's great. The gesture, a simple reminder that kindness and generosity knows no boundaries. Krista Dow, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, an international team of researchers led by a UBC professor is working on another way to fight the COVID virus, and they've captured the process on video. What you're seeing are sugar and protein molecules binding to the COVID virus spike filmed through a very powerful microscope. The researchers have found a lectin, that's a type of protein, that basically gums up the virus, preventing it from infecting other cells and replicating. That reaction is the basis of an anti-COVID drug called APN01 that's currently undergoing advanced clinical trials. Well, most of us would not likely consider running a marathon in our lifetime, but a Victoria woman 
has set her sights on running 30 marathons in 30 days, all for a good cause. And as Kylie Stanton reports, this isn't the first time Yana Hempler has taken a long run to help others. I'm not getting any younger, so it's either now or never. <laughs> most people would choose never, but Yana Hempler is not most people. Starting tomorrow, May 1st, uh, I'm going to attempt to run 30 marathons in 30 days, sort of uh, this marathon spree, if you want to call it that. Hempler has plenty of training under her belt. Back in 2013, she ran the length of Vancouver Island. In 2015, she qualified and conquered the Boston Marathon. And just last year, she committed to running 12 marathons in as many days, raising money along the way. It just lifted my spirits, you know, to see people donating and supporting. And uh, it was just under 36000 for the Victoria Hospitals Foundation. Now with even more miles to cover, she's hoping to raise even more money. $500,000 in total that once again will go directly to the Victoria Hospitals Foundation, providing priority equipment, research and education needs to the two biggest hospitals on Vancouver Island. It's a time right now where I know that everyone needs a little bit more inspiration, especially our care teams. When they know someone like Yana is doing something so powerful and so stressful itself, it certainly helps. You know, the care teams see this they know people are giving back to the hospitals and they are so grateful. This pandemic has been a marathon in itself. And while Hempler knows the next 30 days will be tough, she says they'll pale in comparison to what frontline workers are experiencing. At least her run has a finish line. Our healthcare heroes, they need more support than ever before. And so this is my way of honoring them. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. What a challenge. Good luck. Up next, language revival. How do you say this name for uh, Callahan Creek? From Vancouver to Whistler, how to pronounce the names you see on all of those signs. But first, a sign of spring as Grouse Mountain's grizzly bears wake up. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Grinder and Kula are rediscovering their habitat after 170 days of hibernation. The grizzlies are feasting on a light diet this week, romaine lettuce and some carrots to reboot their digestive systems before they move on to more calorie-rich foods. You can follow their outdoor progress on the Grouse Mountain website. Sure sign of spring. One of them, I just checked, has gone back in for a nap, at least. And maybe that's what the newly vaccinated Christy Gordon feels like doing right now after getting her shot. Congratulations on that and uh, on the arrival of some sunshine. Thank you. <laughs> yes, it's a great uh, weekend, actually. We've timed it really well. We did have certainly some rainfall today. And we have a slight chance of showers tomorrow morning, but overall it's looking pretty nice. And for me, yes, maybe a nap, but I think more so it's a little Friday. Uh, I might have a glass of wine. It's been a long week, that's for sure. All right, let's have a look at uh, April. We did end off for April with a little bit of rain, but when we look at the stats, 
boy, it was really dry. We're talking about 25% of the average amount of precipitation we would get through in the month of April. And a lot of those areas that you see in brown, the north coast and central coast was different with uh, above average precipitation. Now, let's look forward. And uh, when we look at the month of May, June and July, overall, those three months, we're talking about below average precipitation potentially for the interior regions. Once again, that's a heads up, by the way, for the forest fire situation. So uh, we've we continue with this dry weather it could be quite drastic so make sure you're really careful and in terms of uh, temperature we will likely see uh, near normal precipitation again we tend to get low um, accuracy rate for these long-range forecasts but it gives you an idea overall the chance of rain stays low through the weekend as I mentioned though that chance of showers in the morning on Saturday but overall it's looking pretty nice there's a chance of showers across the north coast regions as well many of these areas where you see drops it's really mostly through the morning hours and you'll see a transition out of that moisture as you head towards the end of your Saturday and Sunday's looking really nice across many regions although we will still see some cloud cover on Sunday we're not totally in the clear but not a bad weekend and that's for sure, Chris. And tonight's central windows weather window. This is looking out from Hammond Bay. And I had to Google this. This is just next to Nanaimo looking towards, yes, Departure Bay in Nanaimo. Great shot with that rainbow there. That is That was beautiful. today, by the way. That is fantastic. All right. Thank you very much, Christy. Thanks, Joni, for sending that one in. All right. Anyone driving the Sea to Sky Highway knows that many of the signs that line the route feature names in the language of the Squamish First Nation. Now, a member of that nation has produced a series of videos to teach us all how to pronounce them and a lot more. Linda Aylesworth reports. If you've ever driven the Sea to Sky Highway to Whistler, you've probably noticed some of the 27 English Squamish language signs erected during the 2010 Olympics. They wanted to have kiosks and they wanted to have... Uh, signage mainly to have a Squamish footprint in Squamish territory. It was a popular idea that resulted in the Squamish nation having to field many questions through the years. Why is there a seven involved in your language? We constantly get those requests. Aaron Williams, who heads up the band's language projects, would explain that the seven is a symbol for a glottal stop. The most common one is uh-oh. Yeah, another one too is uh, frankly. Most other questions are about pronunciations. How do you say this name for uh, Callahan Creek? How do you say this name for Deeks Creek? It recently dawned on Aaron that there was a better way to answer these questions. He would create a series of videos and put them on the Squamish Nation Facebook page. He was the perfect man for the job, because while many First Nations people had their languages literally beaten out of them in residential schools, Aaron's grandmother was fluent. My grandmother took me away from my parents because my parents were having a very hard time, so she started teaching me Squamish language that very day. The goal of the videos... To experience Squamish language and what it feels like to speak in the Squamish language. And perhaps in time to understand their meanings, like Vancouver. We called it Kamkamalite, means place of uh, many maple trees. I really enjoy it because I think we need to have more connectivity in this world rather than separation. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Kamkamalite. I'm... It's going to take me years to get good at that, but I, I definitely want to try to learn. Very cool. Uh, all right, here's Squire. 
Okay, so for the second straight year, a BC kid has been taken in the second round of the NFL draft. For the Miami Dolphins, Javon Holland. Yeah, Javon Holland right there. Born in Coquitlam when his father was with the BC Lions, still loves to talk about his Canadian roots. He's got some skill. All right, thank you, Squire. Also tonight, messing with Sasquatch in satellite debris. Just you and me today? It's just you and me. Oh, okay. Yep, it's just you and me. And, uh, yeah, there's now a brand new rivalry going on just down Highway 5. I know people are probably thinking, wait a minute. We knew the Seattle Kraken were going to be in the NHL next year, but they actually had to make a final payment, so it's official. So the owners of the Kraken put the money down. It's all paid off, all $650 million of the expansion fee, so the Kraken will be the 32nd team in the NHL, and they will start play next season. All right, Jets in Montreal tonight, and this is a game both Calgary and Vancouver were really cheering for the Jets, and... Jets got off to a good start. Paul Stastny breaking through and scoring. That made it 1-0. Uh, Trevor Lewis is going to score here to make it 2-0. At one point in the second period, it was 3-1 for the Winnipeg Jets. And then the bottom fell out. Arturi Lekanen, 4-on-2. How does this happen? Bad line change. Lazy play from the Jets. That made it 3-2. It's 3-3. Now it's a Montreal power play. Nick Suzuki, 4-3. Tyler to Foley in the empty net, and Montreal is now 12 up on the Canucks. Well, for the second straight year, as we mentioned before the break, a BC-born player has been taken in the second round of the NFL draft. Last year, of course, it was Avids Ford's Chase Claypool going 49th overall to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Today, Coquitlam's Javon Holland was drafted by Miami 36th overall. However, unlike Claypool, Javon Holland was born here but really didn't grow up here. He basically grew up in California. Played safety at Oregon University, very good special teams player as well. His father used to be with the BC Lions. Uh, Javon didn't play last season because he didn't want to jeopardize catching COVID-19, but his previous time at Oregon and the work he did with his dad convinced scouts he was a top prospect and he loves the fact he's from Canada. Uh, it means a lot. You know, I, I love uh, being able to represent, you know, the Canadian people and, you know, for me to be, um, you know, blessed to be in this position and represent that many people and be the highest taken. Uh, I'm just I'm just honored to be here. I'm, I'm overjoyed. Well, tomorrow is the 147th Kentucky Derby. There will be fans. They won't allow as many as they normally allow in, but they say 48,000 will be on hand at Churchill Downs, which means the Derby will be the biggest crowd for a sporting event in the U.S., since COVID restrictions were put in last year. The opening day Major League game between the Blue Jays and the Texas Rangers, that had 38,000. Uh, this year, the Kentucky Derby favorite is Essential Quality, a gray horse, which is rare. What's also rare is a gray horse actually winning this race, not just being a favorite. In 146 previous derbies, that's him right there, only eight gray horses have ever won. Less gray horses have won the Derby than horses have won the Triple Crown. Essential quality is a favorite because he hasn't lost in his life. However, not only does he have that gray thing going against him, he starts in the 14th post position, which hasn't won the Derby since 1961. Valspar Golf. Loves to hit the big stick. Kiradek, Affenbarnrath. This one goes right in the trees and it doesn't come down. It stays in the tree. Yeah, maybe you could climb up and hit it, but probably take a drop. 
that's what he did. Ended up actually making a bogey, which is pretty good considering your ball's in the tree. Uh, he missed the cut, though. Keegan Bradley, second shot on the finishing hole from 125 out. He's the co-leader at minus 12 along with Sam Burns. Here's a reason why. Adam Hadwin won this tournament before, back in 2017. He missed the cut, as did Nick Taylor and Roger Sloan. Bo hit a slow Baseball tonight, Jays and Braves. Third inning, Bo Bichette. Boom. That one is out of the yard. By the umbrellas. That made it 2-0. Alejandro Kirk. Also, over the wall. Two-run shot, his second. 7-0 Jays at that point, 10-2 now in the seventh. There you go. I had to look. Kentucky, with about the same population as BC, has the same number of COVID infections, and they're going to have an event with 48,000 people at it. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Okay, here's JD with a look at uh, what's coming up at News at 11. Thank you, Chris. The Surrey's Teacher uh, Federation is calling on local politicians to improve safety in schools and COVID hotspots. A car caravan rolled past the offices of several MLAs today. We'll have more on their biggest concerns and what they're asking for to help ease fears. And reaction to the plea to help save the PE, it's in danger of closing, but how do people feel about a financial bailout to keep it afloat during the pandemic? Those stories and more coming up tonight at 11, Chris. All right, Jay, thanks very much. And when we come back, Squire and satellite debris. It's been a heavy week. We've covered, covered a lot of heavy, pretty heavy stories this week, so let's end it with a okay. laugh or two. Try to put a smile on your face. Uh, we love to show things from GoPro and... Uh, they, um, they help out the Grace Gorilla Rehab Center. And in this video, you'll see one of the uh, people who works there and a baby gorilla, and the baby gorillas love to be tickled. In fact, the baby gorilla loves to play a That is so well, cute. More, I know. It's, it's, uh, see, that's hard to not smile at. Um, okay. Right. Uh, from baby gorillas to Sasquatches. And then after that, extra gum with a commercial as to what would happen if the pandemic just suddenly ended. Hint, a lot of kissing, apparently. Here we go. Jack Links presents Messing with Sasquatch. Watch this. Don't mess with other snacks. Choose Jack Link's jerky made with 100% beef. Hello, we've got some big news this morning. We are back, folks. That's right. We can see people again. Can you believe it? It's all coming back. It's all coming back to me now. There were moments of gold and there were flashes of light. There were nights of endless pleasure. It was more than any love
Especially when this is all over, have a lot of gum and mouthwash on hand. So. I think so. Okay, so this last one also concerns the pandemic. It's from Burger King and uh, how things in the last year can kind of confuse you a bit. Joe wonders if this is working from home or living at work. Emma has discovered that she likes dating Mark's profile more than she likes dating Mark. Esteban, he took an online violin masterclass, but he's not anywhere near becoming a master. Dustin bought a book on climate change, but it's shipped from England by plane wrapped in plastic. Now he's confused. Jason stumbles into a real-life conversation. He can't mute, he can't turn off his camera, he can't pee while he listens. Confused. Trudy wants to go to the office, but she also needs to work in pajamas. Simon and Sarah had a baby, and now everyone asks when the next one's coming. What's wrong with this one? knows he should sneeze into his elbow, but isn't everyone bumping elbows? He's confused. These are confusing times, which is just about the right time to have the Burger King Impossible Whopper, a Whopper made without beef that tastes just like a Whopper. one windy road to sell a Whopper, but that's what they did there. Is it ever? You know, the bumping elbows line got me. You know, actually, you think about it, if you sneeze in your hand, no one shakes hands anymore. That's right. Might might be safer. But let's not start that right now, because you know people will take that and run with it. All right, last word on weather for the weekend here, Christy. Just a slight chance of showers overnight and through the morning hours tomorrow, but otherwise, we're really looking at a pretty nice weekend, that's for sure. So enjoy, everyone. Sounds good. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. And thanks for watching, you guys. See you Monday.